thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Sentiments of that song are so appropriate to any time we gather to worship, but they seem to be especially appropriate today as we look at this passage from the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and we're going to look at verse 9 in detail and then consult some other passages of Scripture together. David had come to the end of his reign as the king of Israel. Having been the second king, the first king you may remember was a man named Saul who failed miserably. And David was God's choice. We just read about that in the book of Psalms, Psalm 78. And it talks about how God chose David, his servant, taking him from the sheepfold. You remember the history of David. He was the eighth of eight sons. And his role was seemingly insignificant because his role was just to watch the sheep. Taking him from the sheepfold to lead and shepherd the inheritance of God. And it says, David fulfilled his role with integrity of heart and with skillful hand. We know that David's integrity was compromised in the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah. But the Scripture tells us that with the exception of that great failure on his part in his walk with God, the rest of the time he was one who was rock solid in following whatever the Lord wanted him to do as he shepherded the people of God. The time had come for the baton to be passed on to his son, Solomon. Solomon was not the first son, nor the second, nor the third. He was down the line. David had 19 sons. But the Spirit of God spoke to the heart of David. And he said to David, Solomon is the one. David obeyed. And Solomon, we see here, before the people of Israel, the leadership especially of Israel, and these are the words which David says to him in chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles, verse 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. The first thing that we need to take note of is what David said to Solomon. Know the God of your father. We're going to look in some detail at things that David knew about God, that God had revealed to him, and that he's saying to Solomon, you will be wise, my son, if you study carefully the things which I have written and the things which I have spoken to you so that you can fulfill the role God has for you in this very important 
responsibility. You have to begin, he says, by knowing the God of your father. What does it mean to really know someone? The Bible helps us immensely here, as it does in any number of matters. But to know someone in this particular context, the word was a word which was used to know someone intimately, experientially. Not to just have proper head knowledge about who God is, but to know God in the most purposeful and profound way in your heart, to know Him intimately. This word was used, for instance, in the book of Genesis 4.1, when the writer of Genesis talks about how Adam knew, using the word that's translated know here in 1 Chronicles 28.9, knew his wife Eve and she bore him a son. It's the idea of intimacy, as you can see. God calls us to know Him with the same sort of intimacy that David enjoyed and that David told Solomon it was his responsibility if he were going to succeed in leading the people of God known as Israel. Now let me back off and personalize this a bit for you and for me. Many of us are married or have been married. And we remember when we were drawn to a person whom we fell in love with. And when that happened, there was a desire to know that person, correct? And there were certain things which we had to do to get to know that person intimately. The first of which was we had to spend time with that person. Makes sense, doesn't it? Spend time with the purpose of getting to know her or to know him. And we spent time alone with the person. Now let me pause and elaborate on how that relates to our relationship to God. That carries with it the idea of our carving out a time that's reserved specifically for our God in our pursuit of Him, to get to know Him the way David had known Him, to know Him alone. We've gathered together as a crowd here today. I don't know how many people are here, probably between 250, 300 people maybe. Put that together with the others who've come. A lot of people have congregated here, and we've done it in obedience to the Lord. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another daily. And that encouragement is achieved in a setting like this to a certain degree. And we come to know the Lord on a more deep level when we gather together as we've gathered here this morning. We get to know Him. But there's nothing quite like knowing God one-on-one. -on -one. Notice this encouragement, this exhortation is from David to Solomon, his son. He wanted the whole nation of Israel at least represented in their leadership, if you read the context. He wanted the nation to know that this was a moment of great importance that Solomon have that kind of intimacy to get to know God. And 
to know Him not just in public, but more importantly, to know Him in private. The most fertile ground in my life or yours in our pursuit of knowing God is one-to-one with Him. In the privacy of our own walk with Him, a professor that was professor of worship at the seminary I attended would address his classes and he would say to them at some point early in the semester he would said student he would say students Jesus Christ has prepared a table for two one for you and one for him one chair one place for you and for him And he echoed what Jesus says in Revelation 3.20 when he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and have intimacy with him is really what he was saying. And that person have intimacy with me. Do you know Jesus Christ wants that with you? God the Father wants that with you and me as well. And so... How do we develop that kind of intimacy? Spending time alone with Him one-on-one. And also, it is probably unimportant to say you've got the message already, but it's unhurried time. We need to make plenty of time for the Lord. And one of the ways in which we do that is we follow the example of David found in Psalm 63, The first verse, he says to the Lord, early will I seek you. Now, David may have been a morning person. We could say, I'm not a morning person. David was. That's why he sought him early in the morning. I have a long period of time before I get the cobwebs out in the morning when I wake up. I'm groggy. I've got to have whatever I need to do to stimulate me in the morning to do that. Well, the good news is the Lord knows that about you if you aren't a morning person. But it would behoove you and me if we would seek Him early like David did and put Him first in our day and our priority. And that will impact the rest of our day. And if we have that kind of commitment, it will impact the rest of our lives as we see God help us to get to know Him and see what flows from that kind of relationship. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. One more thing I want to mention. We could go back to 1 Chronicles 16, 11. The words of David are found there. And we hear him write these things. And it's part of a psalm also. It's a song, really. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. What's all this business about seeking the face of the Lord? Well, as I reflect back on my relationship building with the woman who became my wife, I, when I got along with her, I wanted to look at her face because I learned more about her from her facial expressions than I did by anything else. Our Father wants us to seek His face We know God is a spirit and we know that He is not 
like us in that regard. We know Jesus, who is also God. I'm talking about God the Father now. But Jesus, who's also fully God, is fully man too. That's what His coming to this world had to do with so He could be a proper sacrifice for our sins. But what we know about our Father is He's one who is described also with this kind of designation, hands as well. What we normally do, and this is true of most of us, and there's nothing wrong with this necessarily, we normally seek the hand of God on our behalf before we seek the face, if we seek the face of God at all. We fail to get to know God consequently as we should. And we relegate God to a bellhop if we're not careful. And instead of our being His servants, He becomes our servant. It's so easy to fall into that. Now, is it wrong for us to ask the Lord to do things for us? Hardly. Remember the Lord's Prayer as we call it? It's really the disciples' prayer found in Matthew and Luke. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. That's seeking the face of God in prayer. And if we don't do that, all the other kinds of things are immaterial, no pun intended. And then we get down to the part where He says, give us this day our daily bread. Upon whom do we depend for our daily bread? None other than God Himself, our Father who art in heaven. And then He goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. So that's important, obviously, for our being in the best kind of relationship with God the Father because in that same passage in Matthew 6, Jesus in effect says, if I hold a grudge and am unforgiving toward anybody else, God's not going to hear me when I pray. You think that's important, right? We want Him to hear our prayers. But the point is that we oftentimes want God to do something for us. We're going to see a little bit later in the text where He has done something incredibly for us that's everlasting with His hand. But we want to know Him. And we need to seek His face. We need to see Him not as someone who is at our disposal, but someone that we can look to as our being at His disposal recognizing who He is. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Master of the universe. It's He who created all things. And it is He who chose David, one person, and in effect passed that responsibility on to David's son Solomon. And the good news is, when He comes to us, He comes to us personally so that we can know Him. And so that we can be men and women who can be used by God. In the book of Psalm 138, the eighth verse, the last verse of this short psalm, which is oftentimes eclipsed and is in the shadow of Psalm 139, there's a closing statement, and I'm paraphrasing it, and it goes like this. God will fulfill His purpose for me. 
The psalmist evidently was concerned that he would be a person who at the end of his life could look back down the corridors of his life and see the Lord used me and he's the one who fulfilled his purpose for me. Psalm 70, one more time. 78 rather, verse 70. Notice what it says. David chose his servant. I mean, God chose his servant, David. Do you know that you have been chosen if you're a child of God? He chose you not because of anything that you had done or could do. He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. The word holy, to be holy, literally means to be set apart. Set apart for what? For His purpose. And what is His purpose? We see it outlined for Solomon and consequently for us in that His purpose, look at it again in verse 9 of chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles. We know God as our Father and we serve Him with a whole heart and a willing mind. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He planned in advance for us. It's important that our lives show forth good works. But it's secondary to our having been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. When He chose us, we are, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, a chosen people set apart by God for His use. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and yet God came and showed His grace to us, and He empowered us to exercise faith in Him, and the result is that we are ready now to be as we are, His workmanship. By the way, the word workmanship comes from a word, listen to it, in the language of the New Testament. It sounds like this in the original language, poema. You hear a word that comes from that, English, Greek word rather, poema. We are His poems. Created in Christ Jesus, that's important, in Christ Jesus. How in the world do we fulfill the purpose that God has for us? Isaiah 43, 7 says, our purpose is to glorify the Lord. And then that astonishes me. How can I glorify you, Lord, in the state that I'm in? Before I come to Christ, there's no way I can glorify God. That brings honor to Him. But once I receive Christ and Christ comes to live in my life by virtue of His presence in me. And let me tell you, if you know God, you know Him through Jesus Christ, and you know Him simply because He chose to reveal Himself to you. And the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in us. Jesus is the one who prompts us and empowers us, equips us, any number of words similar to those words. It's He who infuses His life in and expresses His life through us to do the good works that God 
prepared in advance for us to do so that we can let our light shine before men in such a way that they see our good works and really they're reflecting works. It's like God, Jesus, and us, God the Father sent Christ and God lets His light shine through Jesus and Jesus in us lets His light shine through us so that people can see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's the way we're to live this kind of life. That's how we are to serve the Lord. We're to serve the Lord, the psalmist says in Psalm 100, serve Him with gladness. Wow. To be appointed as a person whom God wants to bring honor to Himself through, what a privilege. Solomon was such a person. He was set aside. David was. But we are no less such people if Christ has saved us from our sins. And He has come to indwell us. Serve Him with a whole heart. That's with all your being. It's with your emotions. It's with your will. It's with your mind. And He even adds here, and your mind, you will serve Him. There in verse 9, with a willing mind. A mind that is eager to be used by the Lord. Now, how do we do this? And you would expect this. As you think back on what we've said so far, if we go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says, we, meaning people in Christ, have the mind of Christ. And where does that mind originate? Well, it's in Christ, of course, and He's in us. But the Word of God is reflective of the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Case in point, Jesus was in a conversation. It was really a debate of sorts between Him and the Pharisees of the day, people who took exception with Jesus and what Jesus said about Himself and what He said about virtually everything else. And so Jesus says, you believe that in the Scriptures, you have eternal life. And it is they which bear witness to me. So, in the Old Testament, as we are apt to call it, the Hebrew Scriptures, Christ is present. And He reveals Himself to us. If we just have eyes to see, if we just expose ourselves, we see God speaking to us and revealing Christ to us. So when we come early in the morning or whenever you come, don't get it legalistic. Don't let me put a, a, some chains around you and say, if you don't do it in the morning, you can't do it at all. No. We're to be in contact with the Lord consistently, seeking His face as we've seen from 2 Chronicles 16, 11. How frequently? Ceaselessly, continually seeking Him. But when we come to Him, we want to be listeners. Guard your steps before you go to the house of God. Solomon wrote later, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do. Do not utter a single word from your mouth or your heart until you have come to listen. 
you and I are to be women and men who make it the priority of our lives to listen to the scriptures. God speaks to us by His Spirit. Specifically, Jesus speaks to us through the Word of God. This book is the most prized treasure we have on earth. Jesus not to be compared. Jesus, I'm not saying the Bible is God, but it is reflective of who God is and what He wants for us. And it is that which encompasses the mind of Christ. Look again at our passage. Serve Him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. We're going to look at Psalm 139 before we finish today for a bit. But I want to go back and speak of one of the ancestors, the descendants, really would be the way of, better way of saying, the descendants of Solomon and David. He was king. I didn't bother to count where he was down the line. Several great, 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 greats between David, Solomon, and the king known as Amaziah. And the Bible says this about Amaziah. Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of God. He didn't just do it to be doing it to be right in the eyes of other people. He did it in the eyes of God. But listen, but he did not do it with a whole heart. His whole heart was not in it. And there are times when my heart's not in listening to the Word of God or listening for the verse, voice rather, of God, just like it's probably true of you. But the overarching conception for us is we seek Him. Seek Him frequently. Seek Him at any point in our lives. And we have access to Him. Why? Because of who He is. The Bible says in the book of James 4.8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. If you seek Him, verse 9 goes on to say, He will let you find Him. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. I remember as a young father, I enjoyed fatherhood and still do, of children who are creeping up close to middle age by now. I remember as a young father how I would play hide and seek with my children in the house. Did you ever do that with your children? Maybe some of you are still doing it. Some of you wanted to hide and never come out. I know that. But what I remember doing is, as the game went on a little while and it was clear the kid or the children would not find me, I would let them have a hint as to where I was, and they found me. I let them find me. Not to be overly redundant, but let me just make this observation here. The Lord let you find Him if you found Him. Otherwise, you would never have known Him. God is the initiator, and He's the one who makes the relationship possible. And you wouldn't be here today, believe me. Some of you came here and you've never been here before. Some of you came and you weren't planning to come. This is important for all of us to understand. You are one of the chosen of God. And that in itself brings humility to me when I think of it. 
I cannot boast of anything except what Christ has done for me and God has done through him to reveal himself to me. Let's go now to Psalm 139, which we read to introduce our time of worship today. And we're going to look at David. Remember, David is saying to Solomon, know the God of your father. Psalm 139 had already been written and distributed. Probably virtually everyone, and certainly Solomon, would know the content and probably had interacted with his father to get clarification if he were wise. So let's look what David says. The first half of this psalm deals with two traits of God. The scholars call it attributes of God. Characteristics is what we would think of. Let's look and eavesdrop on the relationship that God built with David, having chosen him to be the leader of his people. Verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Now that's scary on the surface. If that's all we had, we'd think, whoa, are you telling me, Lord, that I can't think a thought without your knowing it, even in advance? And there's not one word which comes out of my mouth that you're not aware of or no action in my life that you're not conscious of, even those that I do in total secrecy as far as I'm concerned? The answer is yes, but we're going to see what he goes on to say here in verse 5. You have enclosed me behind and before. If I had stopped reading the psalm right here, the first time I ever read it, and in fact, I read this psalm, I don't know how many times before it really soaked in what David is saying about his having been enclosed by God behind and before. And he goes on to say, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, he goes on to write, is too wonderful for me, too high, I cannot attain to it. When I think of God knowing everything I think before I think it, everything I speak before a word comes out of my mouth, everything I do, it, it's scary because I don't always think, say, and do what He would have me to think, say, and do. But the good news is, David, this is how David perceived, and rightly so, the way God related to him. He's saying, you know everything about me, Lord. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You know it all, Lord. But you have enclosed me, and this word enclosed kind of scares us because we think he's kind of hemming us in. God's hemming us in for some act of retaliation toward us. But the word was used to the describe the building of a perimeter around a people for their protection as they found themselves embroiled in a battle. Well, look, that's what the Lord's saying here. And He's laid His hand upon us. We saw what Jesus said about our being in His hand. I stopped short of what He said about the Father. He said, My Father 
also has you in His hand. And He's not going to let anyone take you out of His hand. I and the Father are one. So this is delightful for David. It's astonishing to him. Knowing himself, knowing his past and his tendencies, when he would disobey the Lord, he could heave a sigh of relief and it was a cause for enjoyment. It's too wonderful for me, he said. Too high, I cannot attain to it. Do you know that's true of you? Nothing can separate you, listen, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? If you are, nothing can separate you. Is that a, is that a license for you and me to sin and live like the devil? No. It's just awareness that when the devil comes against you and he accuses you, and he may be right in his accusation when he sees you've been trapped in a sin and you've committed a sin. But the Lord says differently, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. And in Romans 8, 1, the Bible says, there is therefore now not no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, who saved us? Who took the initiative? Who chose David from the sheepfold? It was none other than the Lord God Himself. Look at verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. There's the hand of God again in protection and guidance. And your right hand will lay hold of me. Let's stop here. David's already concluded. If God knows everything there is to know about me, and He loves me, that is phenomenal. And if God sees me in every situation in which I find myself, in every geographical location, there's nowhere I will not, if I'm in Christ, there's nowhere well, I, where I will not be safe in the hand of God. This is amazing. This is the gospel. Even your right hand will lead me and will lay hold of me. If I say surely, verse 11, the darkness will overwhelm me. The word overwhelm literally means bruise me. I'll get back to that in a moment. And the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Remember how God delivered Israel after over 400 years of captivity in Egypt. A series of plagues, 10 it took. The ninth plague is easily marginalized, overlooked. It's the plague of darkness where there was no light for three days, I believe it was. No light in Egypt. And the people are described as feeling the darkness. Feeling the darkness. Are you feeling darkness in your life today? Internally? Are you feeling it? 
I have on occasion in my lifetime had periods of being in a dark place. After I came to Christ. After I became a pastor, even. Of being in a very dark place. I was suffocating in the darkness of my own depression. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you've been there. Tuck this away if you've never been there because you might be there sometime. But here's the good news. Jesus was with me each one of those times. It was He who brought me out of the darkness into the light. Going back to Exodus chapter 9 about Israel experiencing a darkness which could be felt. It would be wrong to assume that because they did not feel any darkness. There was no darkness in the houses of the Israelites. That's what the Bible says. Read it in Exodus 10. There was light there. Why was there light in a place where there was total darkness? Where did the light come from? How was it that the Israelites were beneficiaries of light? is because God chose them, that's why. And because God was with them, that's why. And that's why when I found myself in dark places from time to time, I have been extracted from them by the remembrance of God, who He is. He is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. We who know Christ have that great privilege And like David, we should be astonished. And look at verse 13 and 14. For you did form my inward parts. The word means kidneys, actually, literally in the Hebrew language. And the Jews believed that the kidneys were the seat of the emotions. So God formed David's temperament, his psyche, if you will. Do you know God created you the way you are in your psychological makeup? Your temperament, He gave it to you, no mistake. Some of you wish you were more extroverted. Others wish you were more introverted. And somewhere, others are on the line of the spectrum between the two. Look, don't go against what God has made you temperamentally. He has a purpose for your life. Remember that. He goes on to say in verse 13, You wove me in my mother's womb. This is speaking undoubtedly of the one cell that was you at the time of your conception and the many multiplications and this body that we have today, it was already intact in genetic form in the womb of our mothers. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David didn't have the benefit of seeing a babe in the womb like we do today. He did not have the benefit of a microscope to see cell development in the process of birth. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Talking about conception and the development. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. That word translated skillfully wrought in the Hebrew language was used to describe someone doing embroidery work. I just stand in awe of people who are good with their hands in any area. But 
I'm especially drawn to people who can do beautifully embroidery work, handwork, incredible. That's what David was comparing our development in our mother's womb to. And he goes on to say, in verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. The word unformed is a word which literally translated would be rolled up substance. That would suggest very strongly embryonic tissue as we would call it from a scientific point of view. It's not just a piece of substance. It's a human being in process. From the moment of conception, the first cell, that which became you was human and is today. There's a message in that for people who consider abortion or advocate abortion because it's flying in the face of what God has established in the beginning. It's wrong. It's a sin. It's committing murder, in fact. Verse 16, in your, in your book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are those thoughts to me, O God! How vast the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. The purpose is to honor the Lord. And the way we do that is by trusting in Him alone and referring to Him, spending time with Him, getting to know Him. The greatest pursuit of any human being's life is the knowledge of God. And remember when we talk about the knowledge of God and the Bible does, it's not talking about mere intellectual understanding. It's talking primarily about internal, personal, intimate relationship with none other than God Himself. And God speaks to us, believe it or not, through the Word of God. He continues to. He wakes us up every morning to speak to us for our encouragement, but not just for ours, for those whom we might intersect that day. David, let's quickly finish this, 19-24. through 24. Oh Lord, You would slay the wicked, I wish... And depart from me, therefore men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and thine enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Now let's stop here just a moment. Two things I need to make note of. He's not just riled up against these people because they have hated God, because He has been hated by them. This is important to get when we see this. And we know Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So, is there a contradiction here? I don't think so, and I'll tell you why before we get to the end of this passage. He says in verse 22, I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. And then there's a sudden turn away from anger, it seems, to sanity. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. He stepped back from his anger. He says, okay, Father, search me. Search me. 
correct me before I start pointing a finger and take action against someone who's offended me and lead me in the everlasting way. Would you bow your head with me? This last two verses, I'm just going to ask you to keep your eyes open and if you have your Bible open or it's on your phone, just look at these and ponder them with me one more time. And make it your prayer to the Lord. Make it your personal plea to the Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Make that your prayer in your heart. O Lord, we pray that you would apply these things that we've learned today or been reminded of again to our own personal walk with you. Thank you, Lord, for being one who promises that you will reveal to us what we need to give back to you that we've taken from you without your permission. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.